Good evening. So, actually, this is a, a, a perfect night to be having this class. You know, I mentioned um, last week um, that really, in life, if you have a good life, you live 35,000 days. Really good life, you live 40, a little bit more than 40,000 days. And every day is uh, opportunity. Every day is supposed to be fantastic. Really Every day shouldn't be wasted. Like it should be that in life we are happy every day of our life. It can't be that we we feel that it's okay to say, "Oh, today I'm not happy." That's a loss of life. That's a loss of a finite gift that we have, a gift of life for, for a day. And we know that tonight, of course, is Rosh Chodesh Adar. The Torah tells us, "Mishenichnas Adar, Mar b'Mesimcha." When other comes in, we should increase happiness. And there, there are ways to increase happiness. Some cookies, there's cookies if anyone wants. It can, fat-free, that's fat-free from parts are all fat-free. No, no, fat-free. Well, if you think it's fat-free, you'll be even happier eating them. Um, there are ways you can eat some chocolate for some people within limits of cookies. But the truth is, if you look at Rashi in the Gemara, Rashi says, well, you know why in other and in Nisan we're happier because those are months where miracles happen to the Jewish people those are months of Nisim of miracles that happen to the Jewish people what does that mean that miracles happen to the Jewish people right, of course Purim the whole concept of Purim is seeing Hashem in the Gullus right, even in Persia even when things look gloomy Hashem is constantly with the Jewish people I, I, I actually told the men that my daughter Chedva who is Sounds great. She called. I was speaking to her tonight on the phone. She told me that she's going to write a report on Winston Churchill. I said Winston Churchill. I know a little bit about Winston Churchill. So I said to her, I said, Chava, let me t- ask you a question. This is an unbelievable thing. Look at Winston Churchill, the man in the 1930s. You know, he took his whole. You know, is laughed at. What's he doing? The whole 1930s. Hitler's coming. There's going to be war. Knock him out now, right? The whole 1930s. Churchill's going around screaming, watch out for Hitler. And people laughed at him. Right? You're causing panic. Nothing's going to happen. What are you causing trouble? What are you making noise for? Right? People laughed. Of course, we know that in 1939, the war starts. And the German blitzkrieg happened. And literally, first, they got clobbered in, uh, in Europe. They got clobbered when they tried to, after Poland was attacked, in Belgium and in France, the British Army. And finally, in the summer of 1940, right, Britain is on its knees as the German Luftwaffe is bombing London. And really, Britain looks like it, it could easily fall to Hitler. And at that point, Neville Chamberlain resigns. And Winston Churchill, Winston Churchill, who, you know, his, for the, could have, it was the whole 1930s, people laughed at, ends up being the Prime Minister of England. And actually, he said a remarkable thing at that moment. He said that his whole life he felt he was preparing for this moment. So, Britain, summer 1940, a miraculous turnaround. To quote Churchill, never have so many owed so much to so few. He rallies the British Air Force. They stop the German Air Force from bombing London, in, uh, in particular. And Britain stabilizes. Eventually, Americans come there. Normandy happens. They attack... They, re, they re-attack uh, Western Europe, and of course we know it's a race to Berlin 
against the Russians after, ni- after the summer of 1944. Fine. Winter of 1945 comes, and the most remarkable thing happens. I'm telling you, I was just talking to the head just a few hours, a couple hours ago. The most remarkable thing happens. Right? An election happens in England, and these ingrates, these English people, do the craziest thing of all. They vote Churchill out of office. I mean, can you imagine they, the country was about to be annihilated? Right? The country was so close to be annihilating, annihilated. And Churchill rallies the whole country. He saves them from complete destruction. And they vote him out of office. So I, t- I said to Kevin, why do you think this happened? So she's just turned 13 this week. She says, I don't know. You know, I don't like it. I said, no, I tell you why I think it happened. Because you know that Hashem runs the world. And Churchill was relatively pro-Zionist. The government that took over Churchill was Claremont Alley, and Ernest Bevan was a foreign minister. There's the Labour Party, the left, and they were much less pro-Zionist. In fact, they decided to, right as World War II ends, and the Holocaust ends, to shut the doors to Israel-Palestine completely. And they forced the issue, and most likely, because the Churchill lost the state of Israel came into existence. Very possibly, had Churchill stayed into office, there would have been a calm situation, and there would have never been, because really, historically, the one period of time where there was world mercy, and there weren't lots of Muslim states, was right after that period, very possibly, it would ne- they would never have come. Now, why am I telling you this? is not my history lecture. Because, if you're a Jew, you have to know that everything that happens, Hashem is watching out for the Jewish people. And the more Jewish people know that, Right? The more the Jewish people know that, the happier we are. <laughs> the more we see Hashem watching us. I, I, I read an article a few weeks ago called "Can Israel Survive?" Guy write, write, write this article. Actually, if you ever put in the Google "Can Israel Survive," you'll see thousands of articles, thousands, and they're not crazy articles. They're really not. If you look at Israel surrounded by ISIS and Iran with a Palestinian problem, they cannot answer. <laughs> Not, it's not, there's no answer. Really, is none uh, right now. There's nothing on the table. If so you say can Israel survive, I would say it's not. They're not crazy. But for one thing, <laughs> the same Hashem who knocked out Churchill, the same Hashem who allowed us to come, in, the same Hashem that we're all here tonight, right? In the year fifty-seven seventy-five, He's on our side, right? And if the more we feel Hashem is the Jewish people, the happier we'll be. Certainly with us as individuals. Right? Odds are, and truth is, this whole point of this class is that we should feel Hashem in our lives. And of course, as I mentioned, the benefits the past few weeks of feeling Hashem. Right? I just this afternoon, I had a lady, not from San Jose, uh, come to my office. And she has, she's becoming more observant, and she has tremendous, tremendous life challenges. Uh, and I can't get into details, but you know, sometimes you make decisions in life and you have issues, and just getting out of it and becoming observant at her stage of life, at her family situation, her station is tremendously difficult. Right? And she came to me today to talk about this. Not, no one, no one, no one. Um, so, you know, if you be her, I said to her, I said to her that, you know, you, you have success is in your, is in your hands. You have to believe that Hashem wants you to be successful. But if you feel, 
if you feel that that it's up to you and in, it's insurmountable odds, not only will you be much less likely to be successful mm-hmm. on a rational lane, but if you take Hashem out of the picture, you'll be much less successful, period. <laughs> you have to know when you're doing this and you're becoming observant and this situation I'm, is extraordinarily difficult and it's not going to go away tomorrow or the next day. Her, her life situation will be years in the making to, to accomplish that. Years! Based on what she has to do. There's no quick answer. I can't tell her, oh, you become religious, and tomorrow, she's not becoming religious, she's becoming more observant. And tomorrow will be better. It's not the case. That's <laughs> not happening. I mean, how, I mean, miracles can happen. But if she if she sticks to it, and she feels Hashem in life, A, she'll be successful, and B, she'll be happy. You know why? Because if you're challenged and you know it's from Hashem, and you feel Hashem in your life, then that challenge is so much more easy to take. Right? And you, when you feel Hashem, you know, and actually when I was, I, when I, I, I recently read a story, and I was thinking of this lady, I didn't tell this story, probably next time I will, um, that, uh, on, in this, that, a, that a boy came to a rabbi, anyone ever hear the name Rabbi Shlomo Farhi? Shlomo Farhi is, uh, works for HUK. You know the name? How do you know that? I read a lot of Asian stuff. Oh, Asian, okay. So here's the Asian case. A boy comes, he does the Asian schools, right? Uh, Asian actually in the UK is pretty big. He does the Asian schools, he actually applies for Asian.com. I'm not sure if the story was there, but it could have been. Uh, so he told the following story. He said that a boy in high school, you know, it's happened a few years, so a boy in high school says, you know, he wants to come in and become, start becoming, learning more. England, you know, is largely a um, traditional community. Even the Ashkenazim are like Sephardim. It means that they're not observant. They all go to Orthodox shoals. Um, and, but you can live in England and, you know, not be observant at all. And when you go to a shoal, you go to an Orthodox shoal. So this boy was like that. He's a typical, you know, boy goes to the United Synagogue a few times a year, but not really, probably didn't even keep kosher or shopping. He came to the Shoal of and he said to him, I want to be more observant. And he said, why? Because I said, he said, because I feel Hashem in my life. He said, I feel Hashem in my life. I said, what do you mean you feel Hashem in my life? So the boy told the following story. He says, it was July 7th. And he was on the train. July 7th, of course, is summer. He was going to a sports club in England. And he's on the, on the train. And he looks and his club starts at 9 o'clock. And he saw in his watch, it was just about to turn 8.50, 8.30, excuse me, about to turn 8.30. So he says it's early. He, 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 must have missed, he must have mistaken the time. And it was actually a lot earlier. He had to be 9 o'clock. So he said, I'll get off. I'll get a, I guess in England they have something called tea. I don't know what this, you know, not coffee. Like, who has tea at 8.30 in the morning? To get a tea and some pastries, whatever it would be. And he gets off the train and literally about... 40 seconds later, the train blows up. It was July 7, 2005. And that was the day of the, Lon- of the London bombings. He said the train blew up feet away from here. He had just got off the train. He was going to get back on the next train because the trains go every few minutes on that, on that line. He didn't know what to do with himself. He couldn't believe it. Meanwhile, his parents knew that he was on the train and they're dying. They're plotting. And he was a teenage boy. Those days, can you imagine this? 2005, you know, generations ago, they didn't have cell phones. And he wasn't able to call his parents. So he started walking home. 
and he got and his parents were all, and they were crying and they knocked on the door and his parents opened the door and they're screaming their son their son they were so happy and they couldn't believe it they, were, they couldn't they, sorry for sure it was that they were waiting for the call so he told them the whole story he said yeah it was it was 8.30 in the morning I got off the train I figured 9 o'clock and then 40 seconds later the train blew up and his parents said no no it was 8.50 the train didn't blow up at 8.30 it was 8.50, July 7th, which was the day, if you could, you could look at this up. The train, it wasn't 8.30. He says, no, 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 I was there. <laughs> I'm telling you, I got off the train, it was 8.30, and the train blew up. And they told him the whole story. The train said, no, it was 8.50. The whole, all of London knows it happened at 8.50 this morning. So he said, I looked at my watch and it was 8.30. I know exactly. And then he looked at his watch. It was two hours later. Still said 8.30. And his watch had broke at 8.30 in the morning and stopped ticking. And the only reason he got off that train, the only reason he got off that train is because it was eight, thought it was 8.30, but it was really 8.50, just seconds before that train blown away. So he told him, Shalom Afari, I know God loves me. <laughs> right? And you know God loves you. You live a different life. Right? You can become observant. You become more observant. You can handle... You feel God in your life. Right? When you see Hashem in your life, everything, the challenges become much less. Right? You know, a, typically, a person's in transition, or a person has a life difficulty, or a person has a bad day. You know, I, I mentioned to you, you have 40,000 days in life. If you feel God loves you, every day is a good day. And really, with other Mishnechas, other Marmis Simcha, you know how you have Simcha in life? The only guaranteed way to have Simcha. There's nothing, zero, zilch, to guarantee a person will be happy, but for feeling and knowing Hashem is in their life. Because all physical pleasures come and go. There's always worries in life, there's always frustrations in life. The, the most important criteria of happiness is seeing Hashem, seeing Hashem, who we meet, what we do, what happens to us. There's nothing that happens b- by chance. There's a Kaddish Baruch Hu. So we, we come tonight to the Shinnech, that's other. You know how our person increases their happiness? is by feeling and seeing Hashem. And of course, we talk as much as it was way past that. But un- unquestionably, <laughs> that the more Jews botech in Hashem, the more happy they'll be, the more they feel Hashem in their life. So we started last week, said, we actually define Bitochon. So we said there's two things in Bitochon. One is, Bitochon is that there's a promise. Hashem says, keep Shabbos. No matter what happens, you're not going to lose out. Right? It could be difficult. It could be a challenge. Right? But you're not going to lose out. You won't, the fact that you're, you, you may lose your job at the company, you're never going to lose out. Maybe a temporary, the temporary reality. Anything that Torah promises us, Hey, that you is guaranteed from Hashem. That's bitachon. We mentioned there's a second level of bitachon, which is the, which the Chavos always talks about. And I quote, quote the Gra, it's chisayon or kivoy, right? Kavel Hashem, right? Have hope to Hashem or chisayon by Hashem. And that is even something that's not guaranteed, right? You have no guarantee. You put your kids into uh, a school. You move to a place. You start a new job. You buy a new house. You have no guarantees. God doesn't say to the Torah, if you work for this company, you'll be successful. 
It doesn't say in the Torah, if you put your kids in this camp or this school, they'll do well. It doesn't say in the Torah, if you buy this house, this will be a good fit for you. The Torah says to get married. How do you know this is the right person to marry? So that's what we call it's chisayin or kivoy. And that means the more a person puts their faith in Hashem. Again, we have, as I stressed last week, and I'll always reiterate this, this is not blind faith. It means after we've made very, very smart decisions, very, very calculated decisions, you know, whenever somebody asks me, you know, I'll give you an example. I, this is not a joke. Revolba, the great of Shlomo Volba was one of the greatest thinkers of the second half of the 20th century. The Mashkiach, the Zakin HaMashkichem. So Revolba, so Revolba, whenever he said, whenever people would ask him life questions, should they move to this place? Should they pursue this as a career? He would shake. He said, could you imagine if I tell them to move to this place, their whole eternity will be different. Their whole life path will be different. I mentioned, what's that, the, slide, the, the closing door, what was that, the, the sliding door, right? That your whole life will be different. If you choose this career versus this career, your whole life will be different. Today, by the way, people are very happy to give advice. Yeah, you said, somebody asks advice, oh, you should do this. They're, they're so quick to answer without, they don't even know the person. You know, you're, 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 you're on a train, you're on a bus, you're in a shoal. People are talking, oh, by the way, this, I think you should do this. You know, People are, you know, but really, if you think about real advice or real life decisions, they're tremendous. It's not, it's not, and, and even after you've thought it through, or Volvo, before he would give advice, I spoke to him multiple times. He wasn't, he would think, right? He, he would think. It's if you do the chidas, if you do the long, right? Yeah, it's the raw, right? Um, so yeah, absolutely, and and that's it, a serious thing, anyways. Well, why is it a serious thing? Because making decisions and certainly big decisions <laughs> are serious, right? And especially if you're telling people to do things, you better think long and hard before you tell them because there are going to be ramifications. There's a big butterfly effect when you, where you live. There's a big butterfly effect what job you do. There's a big butterfly effect where you send your kids to camp. There's a big butterfly effect and a lot of things in life. And you're responsible. But you know what? Even after you, let's say you've researched it and you've done your due diligence, there's a billion things that can happen. There's a lot of, you know, this boy goes on a train. The train could have blew up. His parents looked into the camp for a hundred years. Who knows that that camp he's on the way to going to camp? He blows up. Right? Is there any guarantees in anything in life? Right? You you date a boy. So this is for the ladies listening to this. Any men listening to this, please don't date boys. Even if you're from San Francisco, right? Right? You date a boy. Right? You think you know him, right? And you checked him out. You looked at his research. You checked at his health. How do you know who you're marrying? So how? So that that. That is called chisayan, kivoy, that we're entitled. Not only entitled, we should have faith in the, the goodness of Hashem, like, that He loves us, that He cares about us, that He's watching for us, that He that He has our best interest in mind. And the more we have that bitachon, the more successful we'll be. There's a medrash seicher tayiv. The medrash says the following example: it says there was one. It's a vagrant, a poor individual, who's walking through the town, and you know, he started, you know, he was in a place where he shouldn't have been, and he, the, the police started to arrest him, 
and he said that he's a relative of the king. The king's my uncle. And he looked at his and he said, the king is your uncle? Your king is your uncle? You gotta be joking. But they're a little bit nervous. Maybe, who knows? Maybe, just maybe, that before he throw him to jail, we'll bring him to the, tell the king and ask if he has a, has a nephew like this. The king says, I have no idea. But bring him towards me. So the king sees this person. He says, you couldn't believe this. this is not, it's for sure not related to him. He says, who are you and why do you say you're my nephew? So the, the guy says, listen, I'll tell you the truth. I knew my situation is hopeless. But I knew you, king! You are all kind. You are all merciful. And if I trusted in you and I rely on you, you would hold me. Because you are the ultimate king. And the manager says that because it's the king, let him free. Right? And the, here's the point. If we rely on Hashem, Hashem is much kinder than any human king. Hashem is the ultimate person of kindness. You know, if, you know, you know imagine you have a friend, a friend who comes to your door crying and really in a terrible life situation and they look to you as their savior. If you're half a person, you'll try your best to help them. Why? <laughs> you're not going to look as they're worthy. You're not going to look, you, they're relying on you. And because they rely on you and only you, you're going to do your best to help us. So Hashem who's all powerful, who's all loving, who's our father in Shamayim. Of course, if we put Kivoy by Hashem, right, we're going to, we can rely on Hashem. And that leads a person to Hatzlach. And that allows a person to be happy in this world because even in difficult situations, there's nothing that's locked in. And today we're going to start discussing this. That real Bitochan in all situations, in all stations of life, for this person who I spoke to today, who really has a, 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 a long path, you know, I, you know, I know somebody who, and years ago, years, years ago, they had a child who's probably, you know, who has real life issues, um, physical disabilities, and that's a challenge that will be there for the rest of their lives. And I said to them, you know, this, this Hashem in the world life, you know, right now, it's not. It, you, you have to see that this is your challenge and your tribulations. And to the extent you feel Hashem in your life, that's all you'll be matzliach. It can't be one day you say, I can't believe I'm dealing with this. Because right? Hashem gave you this. Just like some people have asthma. Right? You know, some people, you know, some people are tall. Some people are short. You know, your height's going to defend who you marry. You don't even know the consequences. Hashem gives everything exactly for us what we need. But the more we feel it, the more we trust in Hashem, the more bracha we get. So tonight... We're going to start the nuts and bolts of that. So it's going to, there's going to be a little bit of less expand, expanding, and at the end, we'll expand a lot. But this is all important. And really, if you have the safe, if you have the book, you should really review. We're starting chapter two tonight, Perak Shani. Uh, this has to be reviewed uh, a few times. I actually have this. This my wife printed this out. It has the seven things on here. Years ago, I've kept this in my wallet. I don't know how many years. It's like 13 years I have this. Um, it has all these seven things, which you obviously married the right person. I, 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 my, you know, <laughs> I, I'll get in trouble for saying this, but I'll say it anyways. So my wife told me, I was telling when I first got married, like when I first got engaged, she said, you know, my seminary teacher told me to tell you that you just won the lottery. You got so lucky. <laughs> and I, she's so right. Every day I say I won the lottery. Cause I, you know, I really, really, but the truth is, when I was like, when I was 25 years old hearing this, you know, 14 years ago, I'm like, won the lottery? Uh, yeah, great, I'm, I'm very lucky. But you know what? You don't realize it at the time. It's only every day now more, I realize it more. I, trust me, I realize more. This is 14 years, 13 years ago. 
So, um, this, this chapter is so fundamental in Bitochon Bahasham, and that's why a person has to memorize this chapter. It has to be to the guts. It has to be in, it, it completely in, in our soul, completely pounded in. You know, speaking of marriage, as I've mentioned, and I, and I truly and firmly believe this, there are many components of marriage, but if you want to know the healthiest marriages, the happiest marriages, is where there's trust. When you trust your spouse cares about you, when you trust your spouse that loves you, when you trust your spouse has your best interest in mind, then your marriage is a million times happier. And you have any doubts in those areas, it leads to friction. The more you tr- and that actually takes a little bit of time and experience, but trust, so you want to live a happy life with Hashem, you got to trust in Hashem. <laughs> you got to be able to trust in Hashem. And this really starts this aspect of trust. So the, before we even talk about Hashem, what the author of the Chobos Levolves is going to do is talk about how we trust anybody, any human being. What are the components about trusting people? What makes you trust this person that they can help you? The, the, the mediums that you could trust um, on people, a broom head shepherd, there's seven aspects which allow us to trust. The first is If you know somebody loves you and cares about you, that, that you that they truly love you and care about you. If a child doesn't think a parent the parent loves them or a sibling, you can't trust them. If a spouse doesn't believe their spouse loves them and cares about them. There's a problem. Make a private appointment if you have that. Right? That's a big problem in marriage. Right? You've got to be able to trust your spouse. The number one, and how do you trust? You have to know that the person that you're trusting in loves you. The person you're trusting in cares about you. If you know that somebody loves you and cares about you, then you can begin to trust them. If you think that they do not have your inter- best interest in mind, if you think, I once met a person who really wants to affect my life, and I know that they were so, they were a good person, but they were blinded by their own desires. I did not trust that person. <laughs> Even though they wanted to advise me and quote-unquote help me. Because they did not have my best interest in mind. If you want to trust somebody, they have to love you. They have to have mercy on you. They have to care about you. Vahashenis. Shiyodea bo imahava. So number two. Is she'en mis'alem mimenu velo mis'atso bechevso. Ava hu yodea bo shi mishtado maskim la asayso. Uh, the second criteria is that this person has to know all your needs and try to fix them. Because if they don't know what you need, they can't help you fully. Actually, this person who was in my office today, literally, for the first half hour, I didn't say anything. I'm just sitting there listening to the life story. Because I don't, I couldn't give any advice if I don't know the story. I mean, how in the world can I help a person? I'm, I'm missing key, key ingredients. 
Paul, as much as I know this person's life story, I'm missing a lot. Trust me. No half hour, hour appointment's going to give me a person's life. Right? So even people you know, there's everyone, take your best friend in the world. Even, your, even you know, your, our spouses, there's things they don't know. Right? That, but, it, but to the extent the person knows all our needs and acts upon them to help you, us, you can trust them no more. But if they don't have that knowledge... If they don't know exactly, exactly what our needs are, and they don't try to help it, we can't fully trust them with our lives. <laughs> because how they don't know this about me. They don't know my problem over here. They don't understand me fully. They don't get it completely. Every teenagers speak, they don't get it. Teenagers, teenagers have a very hard time trusting. You know why? Because they don't think anyone understands them. They imagine that they're so complicated. This is, teen- this is how teenagers function. They, no, te- no, teachers, teachers don't get them. Parents don't get them. Rabbis, don't, nobody. You know, it's like you talk to teenagers. Like, yeah, they, he doesn't understand. My teacher doesn't understand. She doesn't understand. Well, if you don't, don't understand, you can't really trust them. It can't be complete. Even if they love you and they care about you, I've heard adults say this. My mother wants to help me. Thirty-year-old lady coming on her fifty-five-year-old mother. My mother loves to help me. She wants, but she doesn't get me. So what happens? You don't trust them completely. Even though you know that they love and care you, if they don't understand you, or they won't make the efforts to fix it, you can't fully trust. Um, you won't trust them. The person who you're trusting has these two characteristics that they love you and they care about you. A. And B, that they know all the all of they have a complete knowledge of what's going on and they're gonna try to act upon it. Right? Gold Rachman also, Allah, they have tremendous mercy and love for you. They have a complete knowledge of what's going on with you. You can begin to believe in them. And trust them to help you without any doubts. Number three to trust is Shia Chazak. Powerful. Right? Powerful. Shilo Yunutzak Bashiru Chafetz. Anything can be accomplished. It doesn't make a difference if you have two million Palestinians and you have Iran, ISIS, Hashem, one stop Israel. Tomorrow they can be solved. If God's not powerful, then forget about it. <laughs> they trust me, they love me, they know we got a fixed situation. This lady was looking at years ahead of challenges. Years. Right? In the minutes, things can change. In a minute, things can become better. The cloud, the sky can, right? Something, but if someone's not all powerful, they may know you, they may not love you, but they can't help you. What are you trusting in? They're not, they can't fix your situation. But if something's powerful, someone, something has, has abilities to help you. Right? Something has abilities to help you. Um, if it's weak, how can you totally trust them? Right? I mean, we're not in God yet, but if you want to pray to God and God can't help you, <laughs> I mean, I can pray too well, right? Now, you imagine Sarah has a baby at 90 years old. All is possible, 
right? This person has a job. This person's getting married. This person, right? But if you're stuck, right? And you're 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 not. This is never happening to me. This is not going to happen to me. I can't. I'm I'm unsalvageable. And even though they love me, and even though they care about me, no hope. If God can, if God can, is not all powerful, then you know maybe maybe there's no hope. Well, if your friend would like to help you, but they're a weakling or they're not in a position of power. Now imagine this friend is the president of the United States, a rabbi of Amachad, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> So, if a person, person's not all, 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 all powerful, so at the end of the day, then they really they can't help, right? Somebody, so you know, I, mean, I told you know the Arab, like people come to me because they help you with the Arab at this point, I'm like. Are you the governor of the state? <laughs> you know, do you, is the governor, do you have? Do you know the governor? Because you know, you, and I'm telling you, these people are well-meaning at this point. Now, at this point, maybe months ago, years ago, people could have been very helpful. But right now, I need the governor. I don't need somebody who can't help me. I actually need Hashem. But the point is, if you're going to ask, uh, you're going to ask me in the laws of nature. You can want to help. You can have all knowledge. You can know a million things. But you're not the governor. You're not in a position to help. You know, even. For the Arab, it's, a, it's an executive agency. I, it's can't go to a state senator. It's all in the government's governor's power, right? Or his underlings and on this executive. Right? You can you can want to help, but you know you have I I know I've had people parents wanting to help their children, but you can't choose. You, there are things you just can't help with. You can try your hardest. You could you could want to help them. You know, if you ever have a mother crying, <laughs> the daughter can't get married in your office. You see helplessness, and the mother wants to help the daughter, and and and, and she loves that daughter, and she'll do anything for her. Obviously, Hashem will help in that case, but that's what you have to focus on. But you know, you you, and, and I can't help. <laughs> I can try to a shidduch, but I can set up this girl for a thousand years. She got a thousand shidduchim. She may not meet the right one. Right? So all you have to be a person who can accomplish. Oh, by the way, a person's weak. A person not in this position. So how could you fully trust them? Imagine like a person comes, to, you know, I'm going to help you with this, but how are you going to help me? You know, person comes, they love you, they care about you, but you're being sued for five million dollars and you're going to lose. Like, how are you going to help me? <laughs> Don't you realize the predicament I'm in? Don't you realize my situation? Can't you understand that as well-meaning as you are, as helpful as you want to be, and as much as you know, there's nothing you can do. So could you totally trust such a person? No. Even though they, you trust them out for your best interest, you trust they, they're well-meaning, you trust that they know a lot of your, your life situation, but you really can't trust them completely. Vaharavius, number four, to trust in something. <laughs> Let's imagine a person really knows you, but they don't know what's going to happen if you take this job, right? Or you get, you know, I'll tell you with the Eruv. So I put a lot of time into this Eruv. It hasn't come yet. It will come as a Shem, hopefully soon, right? Right, <laughs> I'm feeling the pressure. Right, Right. So, so let me tell you. I said to myself, 
I did what I can. People, and other people thought that. If, maybe if it were to come too soon, it would have brought something bad for us. So who knows what? I'm sure, I'm sure if it was meant to be, it would have happened already. The wrong people would have moved in, the wrong, right? Wrong things would have happened. A billion things could have happened. Right? But let's, so I could have got the error. You, there, I, I mentioned, you know, you know, I, I, I feel blessed to be married. I dated many girls. Many, many girls before I got married. My wife, as I mentioned, I was the first boy. She made me wait. So basically, so when I look back, you know, what I would have thought was good for me would have been terrible. Would have been terrible. Meanwhile, I got married the earliest I possibly could have got married. <laughs> because my wife was, had just, I know, I'm five years older. She just was turning to the age where, like, literally, in Adkade Kaf, my wife is a triplet. I was first read to her twin sister. Had I went out with her, she's a very nice, fine girl, but I would have never met my wife. And, my, and by chance, my mother-in-law said, no, no it's... Chance. What? It wasn't by chance. Oh, there you go. She's listening well. Uh, <laughs> not by chance, right? So, but think about it. If you want to trust in somebody, and even if they're powerful, right, you have the president that says, okay, I'll give you the job. I'll give you this. You have this. You don't know what's best for you. <laughs> We very often imagine we know what's best. And this person will say, you know what, I'll give you this. Do you want it? Here it is. If you don't know what's going to happen because of it, you don't know what the future brings because of it, you don't know what's best. Uh, you have no idea. Anyone here, Bibi Netanyahu? Okay, when you think this month he's going to go speak in Congress. Okay, I mean, uh, there's a lot we don't know with it. it's not on the paper. A lot, you know, but he doesn't know what's best. He thinks he's making a decision. Now, I can give you pros and cons for his speech, but one thing I do know is he doesn't know the future of Iran, neither do I, and neither does Mr. Obama, neither does anyone in this room, right? But you make decisions, and let's say you're able to get to do what you want to do. You don't know what the outcome will bring. You are all-powerful. Your friend can give you the job. The governor can give you the air. You don't know what's going to happen because of that. You don't know what's going to be because of that. So even your friend you're trusting in, who now, not only loves you and cares about you, not only does he have the ability to know who you are and understand you, and the position of power, but if he doesn't know what the outcome is going to be of this, I know people who went to the best schools in the best situations and they feel miserably in life because of that. Because what they thought would be a bracha for them, it was a big mistake. Either they met the wrong people, they would have done better, they went to a different type of school, <laughs> they would have got married somebody different, a million things! You, know, you don't know what, what brings out. Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky was when the Gedoyle Hador, his son of Shmuel's mother, my rabbi, who's, who's from the greatest ages of our generation. So Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky, in the late 1930s, he was a rabbi of a small town in Lithuania, and he couldn't make it. And he went for a bigger city, which he would have had enough money to pay. But you can't imagine the poverty in Lithuania in the 1930s. And he was a final two candidate. And had he got this job, he would be able to support his family. And he was vying... No, not if remember, if imagine, not only would he be able to support his family, not only would he have been support his family, but 
he would have been had the opportunity to be a roving great sinner in Lithuania. This is the 1930s. Rabbi Yaakov passed away in 1985. He was, he was at the age of, I think, 96 years old. So he was talking about, he was still young. He was in his 40s. He was a whole life ahead of him, right? right. He could have been a great roving in Lithuania. He would have had enough money and he lost the position to somebody called Yerushalmi, another scholar. And his alternative was to move to America to be able to support his family. By the way, his brother-in-law, who was one of the Gedoyle in Lithuania, told him he'd be crazy to move to America. His kids are going to go off. Yaakov Anetsky said, when he came to America, his dream was his kids would end up Shomer Shabbos. That's how bad America was in the 1930s. And he lost his position. Now, if you're looking at Yaakov Kamenetsky, he could have been a rov of one of the great cities in Lithuania. Wouldn't you want that? Wouldn't that be great? Of course! If you're looking at it rationally. But you know what happened? He lost that position. He ends up coming to America for Seattle and he ends up in Toronto. And he saved his family's life. <laughs> his whole family was saved. That rov of that town was murdered with the whole town. That rov of that town was murdered. And Yaakov Kamenetsky would live for decades, teach Torah Berabin, lead tens of thousands of Jews. His children would be amongst the greatest scholars of our generation. But who knows what's best? Who knows? Do you know what's best? So if you, even if somebody is in a power position, and they know you and they love you, and they care about you, but who knows? You have to know what's, what's really good for you. There are people who want to get married to a person, and they're the wrong person. If you want to have children at certain ages, it doesn't always happen. The Chazonish, right? Who is the leader of the generation in Israel? He never had children, and he was a leader of the generation. Who knows what would have been? It would have been he would have stayed in Europe. Maybe he would have died. A billion things could happen. Who knows? Even if you trust in somebody. You better know that even if they're well-meaning, if they're powerful, they're giving you what you need. Now it's merely best. You know, Yaakov Kamenetsky says to say when we pray, we should always pray and pray hard, pray really hard, but say, if it's what's best for me. Because <laughs> we don't really know what's best for us. We don't really know what's best for us. It could be a million things that happen. A million unexpected in life. We don't know positively what's best for us. So the fourth criteria is you have to know that the person you're trusting in really understands what's best for you. Not just what they, just that would just seems to be uh, at the time. You can't really trust them. There, but if you know that they that they know your thoughts and they know what's better for you and they care about you and they love you and they're powerful to, to do what you need then you could, your, your faith is even strengthened number five the fifth criteria to trust in somebody is right that you've seen already you have a track record when you're, as you're growing older and as you're younger right and you've seen over and over 
You know, I mentioned the marriage is a track record. You can trust your spouse. You see how they care about you. You see what they do for you. Right? You know, there, there's, there's a record already. And because it's hard to trust somebody, even if intellectually you know, even if intellectually you understand that they're all powerful, they love you, they care about you, they know you, they know what's best for you, if you haven't seen it, it's not palpable. You can't, you can't visualize that. You, you haven't experienced it. But if you have experienced it, then you can feel calm. You can be cool and collected. Even in difficult situations, because you know, you understand, that they're, they've done this, even, though, even before it's looked gloomy. It's been scary before. It's been difficult. But they, they've, been helped, they've been able to hold me before. And it's not just intellectual then. It's not just cerebral then. It's not just something I know intellectually. You know, I, I, Baruch Hashem, God will help. No, you know. You've seen it. You've experienced it. Your watch was at 8.30. Even though it was 8.50. You know Hashem loves you. You can rely on it. I'll rely on it. The Torah is Hamasmidois from the constant goodness and caring and giving. The Azam Mechayev Chazakis Betchoinabo, and it obligates a strength in Betalchoin. La Hashishis, that's number five. Number six. Shia Inyan Abotea Kulo Master Biado, Lil Yucho Adam Hazikul Hailo. This is very important. Lil Hatev of Lilitchais Nazak Mihalav Zula Sai. Number six is, is now imagine the following thing. You have a friend. This is a good friend, by the way. You can't say a friend like this. Right? Who knows you? Who loves you? Who cares about you? Who understands you? Who knows, your, who knows what's best for you positively? Who's all powerful to be able to pull it off and able to do it? But not only that, you, you, you can have a friend like that, but what if there's. What if there's somebody else who crashes the party? This person, I was destined for this job. I was destined for this greatness. Of course, guy wants to tell me, but this guy was drunk in a car. <laughs> he hit my car. A drunkard. She stole from me. The housekeeper. Of course, guy didn't want my things to be stolen, but she stole. Of course, Hashem wanted to tell me. But what could we do? There was a Hitler. If you take it to an extreme. If you, but a person has to know. And that, if you want to really trust, but how do you know it can be totally calm? Maybe the person's well-meaning, they want to help, they want to do, but there's other things involved. They're kamikazes. What's a kamikaze in Spanish? Well, it's a kamikaze. You know, <laughs> it means a person who just acts, you know, a Jap- a Japanese fire, fire pi- pilots used to Shooting suicide. suicide bombers, right? Suicide bomber. Are you, there are suicide bombers. How do you know you won't die from a suicide bomber? You can have a great job, great, great, great opportunity, but somebody, somebody suicide bomber. There are suicide bombers in this world, and they have free will. And I'm not going to get to the theology part parts yet, <laughs> which it, it is discussed. If somebody has free will, they can choose to hurt me. They can choose to, to take away from me. Right? They played dirty. They were mean. They were careless. 
Of course God wants to help me, loves me, but my mother, my father, my boss, my friend, my neighbor, my rabbi, my whatever. There's a lot of people who can affect their lives. There's a lot of people who, from the outside, could, could, could negatively impact a person to truly trust them and be calm and cool and collect. You have to know that nobody else can interfere. And they have the ability to talk. There's, no, there's nobody who could hurt you. <laughs> no one can touch you. Nothing else exists. That everything is in control of your friend who's helping you out over here. This person, it can control even these people. No suicide bombers, no kamikazes, no drunk drivers, no evil bosses, no wicked neighbors. Nothing. Nobody, because if, they, if there is, then I can't totally trust. Because even if the person's knowing and loving and caring and knows what's best for me, somebody else could crash the party and really damage. And number seven, that ultimate, this is very important, that the giver, the person you're trusting in, it's not just me, they are the, they are the, the, the acme, the apex, the ultimate giver and chesed for people who deserve it, and even people who don't deserve it, because maybe I'm undeserving. <laughs> maybe a, a person's going to pray to Hashem to get physically better, to get married, to have children, to get the job, to be healthy, right? to get rid of that, that evil person who keeps annoying them. The person has, wants to become religious, <laughs> and there's a long path ahead, or wants to increase their, be more observant, and there's difficulties. A person struggles with personal emotional issues. <laughs> Who says I'm deserving? But God, the person has to say that this person loves so much anyone they can help will help. Anyone they can help will help. Lamisha Roilo or Lamisha Roilo. Like the uncle, the uncle of the king, he trusts this person. It's constantly giving. Constant chesed, like karis, like At every moment, there's constant giving to this person. The essence of this person is being a giver. If you meet such a person, by the way, I'd love to meet them. Introduce me. Uh, you meet such a person. This is the kind of person you can trust in. This you can have rock solid talking. If they say they'll help you, or that you come to them for help, you have nothing to worry about. Everything is good. Zero zilch, nothing. There's no problems. You can relax. Even though it's very difficult. Even though it's very challenging and taxing. And even though it may be years to, to figure out how am I going to get to where I need to get to. There's challenges. They're not going to go away. But I'll, give, I'll be able to be successful in this challenge. I'll get what I need. Right? Because if, if, if it could be done, of course, this person will give it to me. And if it doesn't get come to me, that's exactly for my best. Positively, if I don't get the job in Lithuania, <laughs> if I don't get that job, then I have nothing to worry about. It's my, for my best. I can 
be happy and relax and calm. And even the difficulties, even the challenges, even the stresses, even the aggravations, I can be happy with. This is my friend. I can be happy in all circumstances because everything is for my best at that moment. It doesn't mean we shouldn't change it yet. Right? But a person can be relaxed. A person can be calm. Now, we'll talk about it in a second. We'll talk about, obviously, we talk about gazeras, we're not there yet. But the point of relax, happy means is that if I have this right now, it's for my best. Of course, if you're sick, it's for your best at that moment, right? Whether it's for kapara, for atonement, to work on your character, but you're supposed to pray to get better. <laughs> you're supposed, and, if, and you're supposed to do, you're supposed to go to a doctor. And everything in life is like that. But it means to the extent you're in a difficult situation, that's for my best at this moment. Right? I had a gazera yesterday. Now you may say it's not such a bad gazera. I'm still trying to figure out after 120 years I'll figure this out I had jury duty there's nothing more inconsequential than jury duty and you as a lawyer saying that oh trust me I, I, if I would be the if I would be the constitution I would, I would kill jury duty after looking who's in that room deciding cases I'd say oh my goodness uh, you know like, you know, you can't imagine you have a bunch of people who the, the jurors are whatever that's not my point right now <laughs> don't get me to, the, to, to juries Maybe you agree with me you're coming there. 100 percent right. Yeah. So, yeah. So you're lucky. So I go into this room. I'm like you're like a sardine. Like literally, like there's hundreds of people in this room before you're called. I'm sitting there for this this hour and a half in this room like a sardine, trying to feel like what am I doing here, right? And at the end of this all, I, I got called four years ago. Four years ago, the defense attorney bumped me right away. Her rabbi, lawyer. You know, you know, they're like, he's off. They get, they get three knocks. They get three. They take off three. He looked at me. I want him off, right? Um, I said, thank you. Have a nice day. <laughs> right? I didn't say that, but I smiled. <laughs> I was a little insulted. He wanted me off, but then I, I smiled that I was free. So, no, but I'm seriously. I could, I could have been sitting there for this hour and a half. And yesterday, when I was at the jury duty, basically I sat there for an hour and a half waiting to get called in. To, to the to the jury room to the, to the jury box whatever it would be the case is settled everyone go home so literally through my whole day I had things to do people to meet but you know what I knew that I was supposed to be there yesterday and I, sometimes I'm on a plane and I meet somebody and I have so many plane stories like why I end up on this plane and why I can give you I, have a, I can write a book of plane stories I literally can write a book of people I met on planes and like the conversations I had and some of them have continued to this day but this jury yesterday, I have no clue why I was there. There were no Jews there. I, didn't, you know, I, I was looking for a Jew. Like, I think I'll do Kiruv. You know, like, you know, uh, uh, I was looking for uh, maybe I'll meet somebody. Like, please help me. So, nothing. I'm telling you, it was like, uh, no one visibly Jewish. And I'm usually good at picking it so he's invisibly Jewish. You know, it was like smelly. It was hot. It was. So, you know, I could have been there miserable. And I said, you know what? Shem, Hashem, no, it pretty much is. Hashem puts me here. Hashem puts me here. I'm supposed to be here today. I'll make the most of it. And I was happy. I mean, it didn't, and I was happy to get out of there also. You know, Baruch Hashem. Right? But you know what? I, it, it, was, it was a day of my life. It was an hour and a half of my life. I would hate to feel I wasted an hour and a half of my life. I don't have that many hours and a half in my life, and neither of us do. Right? We have 40,000 days in this world. That's a chunk of my day that was up peak of time I had a one o'clock I had to be there at one o'clock it wasn't like you know, the, you know it, was, it kept my middle of the day 
And then they actually make you call. Like in the middle of the day, they're called to find out where Because like how terrible this is. These, you know, that's small. Obviously, it's very small and petty, to be honest. By the end of the day, it's all what like, all life is about. Hashem gives exactly what we need. So we actually don't, we don't understand it. These are seven criteria. So says the author, the Chobos Lavavos, the Chashenach Goel Eila Shiva Hatsunayim, when a person looks over these seven criteria, they're not found anywhere in any creature, in any person, in anything. Kulam Beboira Yisala, but they're all found in Hashem. All of these seven criteria, which allows us to be Boteach by Hashem, are all found in Hashem. And the author now is going to go through all seven, how each one is found in Hashem, which allows us to Boteach Hashem. I'm not going to do this today because I want to review this next week as we go through in detail how Hashem. This card, by the way, I wrote this 13 years ago, and I'll tell you the truth. Over those 13 years, I've looked at this many times. There are many times in my own personal life where I at transition points, where I at junctures, where there's difficulties, where there are challenges. Everyone, that's what life is about. This is not Olam Haba. <laughs> We're in this world. This world is a world of challenges. This world is a world of difficulties. There's spiritual challenges. There's physical challenges. There's health challenges. There's interpersonal relationship challenges. Right? And you know what? None of us can do it by ourselves. Hey, all of us need Hashem's bracha in this world. I've looked at this card over times, many, many dozens of times. So this is what it says. This is exactly what we just did. Next week we'll do it bein uh, with Hashem. These are the seven qualities that Hashem has that ensures my trust in Him. Number one, Hashem loves me. Number two, Hashem is with me wherever I happen to be, and He is always ready to help me. Number three. Hashem is stronger and smarter than everyone in the world, and He can find solutions to problems that seem impossible to solve. Number four, Hashem knows what's best for me even better than I myself know. Number five, just as Hashem has helped me many times in the past, Hashem will help me again now. Number six, no one can do anything to help or harm me other than Hashem. He has total control over everything. Number seven, Hashem wants and seeks to do chesed more than the most wonderful, kind-hearted, and generous person I can imagine. These seven traits we'll go to next week, how Hashem allows us to be Hashem. And the more we do this, the more happy we'll be in life. Why can we trust in Hashem why can we find ourselves common under situations, even sometimes which are difficult and challenging, certainly when it's good, is because we can rely on Hashem, because Hashem has all of these seven traits. And the more we inculcate this, the not only the more happy we'll be, the more successful we'll be, the better Jews we will be, the more calm we'll be, the more we'll be able to be successful in all our challenges. Not only this Baal's Tshuva today, who want this wannabe Baal's Tshuva, who I met this afternoon, not from San Jose, Hey, maybe she'll live here if she's one day. Uh, not only her, but all of us, and all of our challenges in life, and all of our things. And we'll do it happily. We'll do it realizing that we're not alone, but we're with Hashem. Okay, thank you.